Here we go. We're on the air. Chav Beishvat. Parshas Mishpatim. Chav Beishvat is the yard site of the Rebetzin. Rebetzin Chayimushka. The wife of the Rebbe. The daughter of the previous Rebbe. The granddaughter of the Rebbe Nishmaseidin, the Rebbe Rashab. Etc., etc., a child born into royalty. Pash Mishpatim itself is a very, very powerful Pasha, we say. Pash Mishpatim has 53 mitzvahs, 23 mitzvahs, say, 30 mitzvahs, leisase. Pash Mishpatim comes in following, but yet is not a separate entity to the prior to the Pasha prior to it, Pasha's Yisrael. And as a matter of fact, we see the first, the very first Rashi of the Pasha, where the Pasha begins the word Ve'ela Mishpatim. These are the Mishpatim. It doesn't say Eila, it says Ve'ela. We know always the Vav is a Vav HaMechaber. It's a Vav that connects it, says Rashi. And therefore, Rashi tells us Ve'ela is Meisif Alarishonim. Ve'ela adds to what it said in the beginning, and to what it said prior to this, just like the ones prior were said on Sinai, just like the Aseris Hadibris was said, we know it was said by Sinai, so too, and also these Mishpatim were said on Sinai. What is the significance of it being said on Sinai? Off the bat, as we say it. The most simplest explanation that we find is the significance, the importance, the value that gets put on this by saying that this was mentioned on Sinai as well. And that, therefore, when a person knows that when the Ten Commandments were said, the Ten Commandments were said on Har Sinai, we know this is the basis of our Torah and Mitzvahs, we tend to doubt, therefore, what is the rest. Are there any more mitzvahs that are actually of value, per se? Are there any more mitzvahs except for the Ten Commandments? We know there are many people that have problems with just that very issue. 
And that's why the Pasuk is written in a very interesting fashion. The Eila Mishpatim, and these are the laws Asher Tosim Lifneyem. They should place before them. Suffice it to be, they are mishpatim. These are the mitzvahs. These are the mishpatim. The second question is, what is mishpatim? Why doesn't it say mitzvahs? And thirdly, what is the lifnehem before them? Rashi tells us Lifneim. The Ben Chamish the Mikra does not understand what it means. Lifneim. He says Lifneim. Belay Lifneim. They gelilim, and not in front of the Avedizaras, not in front of the, the, the idol worships. To avoid going to court, a a conflict, a an issue between two Jews should be brought and stay in Besden. All costs it should avoid going to court. Lifnehem, though, has a deeper meaning to it. Mishpatim, as we've explained many times, there are three types of mitzvahs. There are Eidus, Chukim, and Mishpatim. The Eidus are the mitzvahs that give testimony to something that happened in the Jewish history. And therefore, we celebrate a given mitzvah to honor, to remember, to cherish that happening. Pesach, Passover, celebrates, commemorates the Jews leaving Mitzrayim, the Jews leaving Egypt. Shavuos commemorates Matan Torah, the Jews receiving the Torah on Hasinai. Sukkot is a yamtiv that the Sukkot is a The Jews traveled in the clouds, which represent a very similar or pachaja to our Sukkot. These are called Eidus. We then have Chukim. Chukim are mitzvahs that we don't have the actual understanding, the actual meaning to them. In essence, Chukim have a very strong basis in our belief in God, in our connection through Torah and mitzvahs, chukim stronger and greater than the other mitzvahs. How so? Tell a famous story of a fellow that fell off a cliff. And when he fell off the cliff, it was 10,000 foot drop and it was a branch and he grabbed onto the branch and it saved his life. He was dangling from the branch. But dangling from the branch saved his life from falling to the crushing death. But unfortunately, did not get him back on top of the cliff. 
And as he's holding on and dangling for his dear life, he calls up to the heavens and he says, God Almighty, please, I believe in complete faith in you. Please save me. To which he hears a heavenly voice reply, Do you believe in me? And he says, Yes, God, I believe in you. Do you have complete faith in me? He says, Yes, God, I have complete faith in you. So God says to leave go of the branch. The fellow's in shock. He looks down at the 10,000 feet below. He leaves go of the branch, he falls to a certain death. He looks up to heaven again and he says, Anybody else up there that can help me? Chukim tell us, we have no questions, nothing to ask. We believe with complete and total faith. I'm going to take one second, I'm going to take a break here, I want to redial everybody, in case they don't know what happened to this, the uh, actual thing. Just one second, I'm disconnecting. Okay, now let's try again. A video call. Let's see what happens. Oh, we have a problem. Okay, we're recalling everybody. Everybody's being recalled. Iran, we have you back. Okay, I don't know what happened to Steve. I don't know what happened to Iran. As the calls fail, people fall off of the screen. Very interesting. We have to take a, God, a life lesson from this. When you fail, you fall off the screen. You become a non-entity. That's terrible. But I still don't have your picture. I don't know why. It's still that you have a very good computer with a very, very high internet connection I'm sure that's it they're running on the wire still they're trying to get the electric current going so the Eila Mishpatim Mishpatim technically are mitzvahs that the person self understands do not kill do not steal and the Pasha goes on to tell us of all the different scenarios a person digs a ditch in the middle of a public road if a person acts, goes on a rampage and starts to gore other animals from all sides. If a man hits another man. There's also a lot of psychological lessons in this passion. Uh, amongst the first psychological message we find, that if a person comes to kill another person through a tunnel, 
the Torah then tells us that a person can take initiative in self-defense and save himself. However, if it, the person knows factually that his attacker will never kill him, that his attacker would, if he be confronted, would rather not take what he came to steal and go out empty-handed than to, God forbid, hurt this person. It's someone that actually loves him, someone that cares for him, or even his father, that the person may not kill the person coming to attack. And then the tailor goes on to tell us of different fights, different ways, an eye for an eye, an ear for an ear, etc., The terror then moves on to the person's property. If a person's property damages another person's property, whether it be an ox or an animal, whatever it might be, how a person has to pay. Then there's the psychology of the animals. I have a very close friend that many years ago, when they first got married, had a dog. The dog was a crossbreed between a Doberman Pinscher and a Rottweiler. And the dog used to always attack people, used to bite people. So they took it to an animal psychologist. And the animal psychologist, after analyzing the dog, could just hear those conversations. Rough, rough. After analyzing the dog, determined that the reason the dog was attacking people was because it was abused as a puppy. No, a Rottweiler and a pit bull, and he needs, with such yichas, with such yichas, you tell me that he needed a psychological analysis to tell us that he needed to... I don't know if I lost you here. You're back. Back and better than ever. And let me see. I'm back. Okay. So, and then the pastor comes in in Magdalasimotseaganov. What happens if the person comes in, as we spoke before? And again, the tailor tells us of the different approaches, the different type of people that can come to attack you. And the different type of animals, if the animal is a tam or a mud, if the animal has done this the first time, or if it does it many times, it does it often, how much the person has to pay. even is in this parasha. Never mind. Then the tailor goes on to tell us, Im kesef talves ami, which technically im means if. If you will lend money to another person, throwing aspiration, throwing doubts on the fact that a person would loan another person money. If you're stupid enough, says the tailor, to lend somebody money, <laughs> God forbid. <coughs> the Gemara tells us, Rabbi Shmuel says, every im and im in the Teda 
is a permission, except for three, and this is one of them. A person has to lend money to a poor person that comes to lend, comes to borrow. And the laws of loaning money. And the laws of taking collaterals. Even a collateral has a law to it. If a collateral is something that the person is going to need at night, for example, a pillow, you have to return that collateral so that he can use it. And so much more so if it's a day collateral. And in the middle, the Pesach tells us, And you should be a holy nation to me. And the person cannot eat basa teref. Basa basa de teref But rather, la kelev tashlich No more, no less. person cannot eat teref meat, but he should throw it to the dog. First of all, let's determine what's treif. When an animal is slaughtered, the animal is then opened up, before, prior to opening up, I'm sorry, they reach inside and they take out the innards. And they bring out certain things. Then the opening, they take out the lungs, etc. Animals, like any other being, are prone to disease. That's why the different groups that have groups of shechita out of the different patentum that they came up with, one of the patentum was to go to shecht in warmer areas, in Costa Rica, etc. And the reason being that in the warmer area the animals were healthier. I'm off. Okay. Okay, we're back on. Um, So there are different diseases that one can find within the animal, within the innards of the animal. Some diseases are lethal and some aren't. Some diseases, the animal can only live a few days, a few months, and some diseases could go for years. If an animal had within him a lesion or something like that in the animal's heart or the lung, etc., that the animal would not have been able to live 12 months which of course we only know after we slaughter the animal because by examining the insides we see what the animal's um, health status is and we're not talking about mad cows and they see that it has a disease something wrong with it then it becomes teref if however it's a healthy animal and there will be no problems that are going to imminently kill the animal. The animal, therefore, is not deemed teref, and the animal becomes kosher. Many years ago, 
Not every city had a rabbi at their disposal. Not every city was able to just pick up a phone and call a rabbi. Dial a rabbi time. You had to travel sometimes to go see a rabbi. And not everybody had a horse and wagon, or definitely not a Porsche. So, it meant the form of transportation was the number 11, as we call it in America. The feet, the two feet, the two legs come like a number 11. One particular fellow that didn't have a local rabbi, his profession was a katsev. He was a butcher. But in the olden days, the butcher didn't get a truck pull up by his store and bringing in cut meats or dissected animals, you still have the handful of butchers that get the zeitlach, the only four, four part of the animal that we're allowed to eat, and they get the whole zeitlach, and they take it apart, they dissect it with different cuts of meat. I know that uh, meat comes in the form of chopped meat. I'm still trying to figure out which part of the animal gives the chopped meat. Um, and then they have steak, and then they have, and we learned about, as I grew older, I found that the thing called a skirt steak. The skirt steak is on the skirt of the animal, and it's very, very salty. The reason it's very salty is because when they salt the meat, the salt runs down. It runs down, so it stays, a lot of it gathers on the bottom. Kids are, every day this katsav, in the olden days though, the katsav didn't just get this, even this cut of meat that he could just dissect it, but rather he took his cow to the shochet, had the shochet slaughter the cow, and then went and brought back the cow to his premises and opened the cow up and dissected the cow and checked it. Now, the Katzav used to come up with a Shaila every day. It was not a very learned person. Every day there was a Shaila. And the problem was, the Rav was not local. To get to the Rav, it was a journey. He had to walk an hour, hour and a half. Was Tutman. You have no choice. The Shaila is a Shaila. So every day this poor fellow would spend three hours of his day charging to the Rav, and charging back again. And there were days that the Rav said the meat was kosher, so he was very happy to go home with his load on his back, even though that it was a load, but at least he knew it was kosher, he's going to make some profit. And you would just imagine the days, Nebuch, where the Rav said it was not kosher. If it was not kosher, whatever he was carrying back was worthless. And he threw it to the dog in the field anyway. All of a sudden, a Tkufa's man came by for two weeks. The Katsav did not show up with the Shaila. The dog started to inquire, maybe the Katsav died. Where are we getting our meat from then? After two weeks, suddenly the Katsav is back. Takes a long, he slobs it down on the table, plop. And the Rav takes the, the lung and he, he blows it up first 
Because one of the first things you do is they blow up the lung to see if it holds the air. If it has any holes, then there's a problem. If there's any sirches, has anything hanging on to, we're not going to go learn Hilchas Trefus now. The Rav inspects the lung and he gives his psakdin. Um, he gives his. Oh my gosh, where's Nat now? He gives his opinion, his decision. And the Katzer is very happy, he picks up the lung, and he's about to walk out, he says, Moshe, yeah, tell me you haven't been here for two weeks. There was no Shilas? I, Rebbe, he says, I learned a Pasuk in the Torah. He says, what Pasuk did you learn, Moshe? Uvasar basar not let it eat for meat. What do you do with it? You throw it to the dog. So, so, I understood, said Moshe, that the dog knows this law as well. And the dog knows that he only eats meat that's supposed to be treif. So when I had a doubt, I took the meat and I threw it to the dog to begin with. If the dog ate it, I knew it was treif. If he didn't eat it, it was kosher. So the Rav says to him, so you had a very, very good patent. You had a good system. Why are you coming back to me? I, Rebbe, he says, my dog is such a machme. He's so stringent. He eats everything. So obviously, the dog made everything, what he, in his opinion, treif. Rashi, Basik tells us though, what do we do to the meat? We throw it to the dog. Why the dog? Well, first of all, common sense dictates not everybody had lions in their backyard. Or bears, for that matter. So the most domesticated animal that ate meat, if I'm not mistaken, the word is carnivorous, That's uh, meat-eating, I believe. We'll have to check that with Nat. You know, for those who have doubts if this guy Nat is really, let's try to call Nat. And we'll find out, we'll get these words straight once and for all. I don't know if he'll answer his phone, but let's see what happens. Okay. No such luck. Okay. Oh, there is a Nat on the phone, folks. You're on the air. You're live on the internet. Nat, the animals that eat meat are called carnivorous. As I say, we have a problem. If there's any Kohen in the building, please leave. My phone passed away. Finally got Nat on the line. How do you like that? The phone was really good. 
Okay. Phone dead. Please do not call us back. We finally got Nat into a shear, and he's gone. Okay. Sirashi tells us why to the dog. What merit does the dog have to be able to get all this wonderful meat? It's like a dog. Maybe not. A dog. A dog says he'll sell it to a guy. Of course, someone with more so by trefa that you'll let her have enough from it. So why does it say Kelev? God does not does not um, oh boy deprive merit from any creation any creation in the world that did God's will God sees to compensate the compensation involved here is, says Rashi, Shenemar Ulochol Bene Yisrael Leyechrat Kelev Lishonei. When the Jews left Egypt, one of the reasons that no slave ever escaped from Egypt was not their their alarm system they had, although they had witchcraft-wise many things. Egypt, after being known for horses, was also very, very famous or infamous for their fierce dogs. And by the gates of Egypt there were fierce dogs that would scream and yell and bark and attack. When the Jews left Egypt, the dogs did not sharpen their tongues. The dogs did not bark whatsoever. And because the dogs did not bark at the Jews and did not make them uncomfortable, the compensation that God gave them was that the Basar the Basar Trefa gets thrown to the dogs. A phenomenal, phenomenal concept. It's not just the dog that didn't bark, not just the dog that didn't bark, got compensated when it got compensated for not barking, generations thereafter, we see by the human being as well the same concept. Generations are punished and generations are rewarded for what the person does. And that in mind, bearing that in mind, the person approaches many, many different things in many different forms and fashion. And following this psukim, we are told do not swear falsely, do not listen to false reports, do not associate with wicked people, and then all of a sudden, Kisire Chamer Seinacha Reivitz Tachas Masoi. 
Perhaps if you will see the donkey of your enemy lying under its load and the donkey is collapsing and you had even the minutest thought to refrain from helping him tells us that Teda you must see to it you go out there and help him this is a lesson a life lesson that Teda is teaching us in the middle of all these severe laws a life lesson of a moral behavior a moral behavior how a person has to be moral and help another person but the Torah goes another step further it doesn't say if you happen to see a Jew if you happen to see your best friend's donkey that needs to be unloaded but your enemy's donkey is suffering under a load and your enemy parked and is ready to unload the donkey but every minute counts the donkey is collapsing says the Teda you must see to it you have to go out and help with him now there in itself lies another lesson. means only if the person is working. The enemy cannot turn to you and say, Ah, the terrorist says, you see my, my donkey, you have to unload it, get, on, get working. But rather the terrorist says, If he himself is working on it, you have to help him and do it with him. Chassidus tells us, Kisire Chamer, when you will see these Chumrius, when you will see the physicalities, Seinacha, that your enemy, the Yitzhahara, is going to present, and Revets, you are starting to buckle under Tachas Masoi, under his load that he's piling upon you. And you're still holding, you're refraining from helping him. You're refraining from throwing him off of it. This is wherein the problem lies. And this is how the parasha starts. Lifneyem is in each person. When we said Nasev and Nishma, we said we will hear and we will do, we will do and we will hear. With the word do preceding the word to hear, before you tell me and give me lessons, I'm ready to do whatever you want, God. But there are times, there are ways and there are ways to learn Torah. There is an intellectual way of learning Torah, where the person just gets an intellectual high, person gets excited by the knowledge, person gets 
inspired, not inspired, but just gets a pleasure from amassing knowledge. And then there's learning Teda and getting inspired and becoming one with the Teda. Where we don't just say, it's a beautiful thought, it's a beautiful learning, but rather I become one with my essence. There's a famous story in the town of Berdichev with the great tzaddik, the lawyer of the Jews, I believe Yitzchak Berdichev was the Rebbe of the town. I believe Yitzchak Berdichev was known worldwide for his holiness. There was a little problem in Berdichev at this time. It was the day of Sukkot, Arab Sukkot. And there was no Esrik to be found in Berdichev. It was only hours before Yom Tov was to begin. The sukkahs were all standing. And people had everything ready. And probably, if I'm not mistaken, Lulov must have been easier to get than Esregim. But there was no Esreg to be found in Bedichiv. And as they're standing in shul saying, Tell him, and getting more and more anxious and depressed, God forbid, Suddenly, a distinguished-looking fellow walks into the shul. But the distinguished-looking fellow was not a rich man. Not a rich man. The distinguished-looking fellow was a chauffeur type of a person. And the chauffeur, obviously, has somebody behind him. And he comes in and he asks for directions of the hotel in Berdichev. Excuse me, you're disturbing my recording. Leibish. The fellow... Thank you. The fellow... Wanted to know where the hotel was because he wanted you to marry. So we have to go down. Oh boy! Wanted to know where the hotel was because his master, or his employer, had come on a long journey and wanted to rest a little bit before he continued on the final few hours of his journey to arrive home. Immediately, the Bardichiva asked the fellow, enter the shul. And the rich man enters the shul and he's holding a silver asterisk box under his arm, which obviously this is a commodity that he was not prepared to let out from under his arm. And the Bardichiva looked at this magnificent silver box and says to him, tell me, is the asterisk as nice as the box? He said, of course, Rebbe. And he opened up and showed the Yesig, and the Badichiva was extremely impressed. The Badichiva told him, I would like you to stay here with us for Sukkis 
so that we may partake of the mitzvah, sukkah, a little of an esrig, we may use your esrig. Man was flabbergasted. Rebbe, I'm away from home for five weeks. Away from my business, away from my dealings. For five weeks. Because of this esrig. I traveled to distances. I spent 500 ruble on my esrig. You want to take my essay away from me now? My family, my friends, everybody that's waiting to make a bracha on my essay. The Radichava had to pull all stops for this. He did not want to miss out this opportunity of having an essay. I mean, essay is as beautiful as this one. So he needed to bring a price that the man could not refuse. And the man knew Dichiva was a very righteous man. So first things first, the Dichiva said, you want to go to a hotel? You don't have to go to a hotel. I want you to be my guest. You'll come to my house for a few hours. And the man was very happy. Where else? It be by the Dichiva. And he came into the Medici of his home, and the Medici was talking to him about the Esrig, and he wouldn't budge. Finally, the Medici told him, I offer you a price that you can't refuse. He says, what is the price that I can't refuse? There's no numbers. So he said, I'm not offering you numbers. I'm offering you half of my world to come. Half of my Elam Haba, I offer to you, for this Ashik, for you to stay here with the Ashik. This the man could not refuse. And the man acquiesced. Man was put in the nice guest house. And he stayed for Sukkis. But before the the Transaction took place. Before it ended, the Berdichev called in ten people, wrote a legal contract, and had the ten people sign it, witnessing that he is giving away half of his Elam Haba for this Esrik. <laughs> that night, beautiful, happy service of Mairev was led in the shul. The singing, the rejoicing of the first night of Sukkot was in the air. It's a brisk little night. And our guest was standing in a place where the guests stand. And in the olden days, the guests would stand in one particular place. And everybody would walk out and say, Good Shabbos, or Good Tiamtav. And as they walked out, they would walk past the guests, and they would invite a guest. Everybody walked over to this fellow, and they shook his hand, and they thanked him profusely for saving the day of Badichiv, where the Baruch Hashem are going to be able to bless the Asrik tomorrow. And everybody gave him a wonderful handshake with a beautiful smile, with a phenomenal thank you in their hearts. <laughs> and they left Shul. 
And when the last person left shul and took everybody else, took a different guest, our rich man was left standing. And he said, what? How is this possible? I'm the savior here. Everybody just blessed me and praised me for saving the city. And they, nobody, they forgot that they, oh, it's not possible. They didn't invite me. <laughs> it's an oversight. Once they realize I wasn't invited, they're going to come running. No. For those of you who went running to get him, Ashrechem. But the people of Badichim, nobody came to get him. And the poor fellow started getting hungry. So he walked out on the street, and now already it's been quite a while. And it's so long that the people have already gone home, made Kiddush, ate, and already taking strolls. And then he's walking around, he goes to the president's house, he knocks on the door. There's nobody home. And he goes from one house to the next house to the next sukkah. Nobody has any room for him. Or nobody has any space. Or nobody has any food left. They finished eating. The man is despair. He's not going to eat the sukkah. Crazy. Where's the Baditshiva live? And they take him to the house of the Baditshiva. He recognized the house. He was there the day already. And he comes to the sukkah and the Baditshiva looks up and sees him and says, Oh! Stami, you want to eat? He says, what do you mean I want? Of course I have to eat. It's something. I'm hungry. Don't worry, my friend. I have the most elaborate, gorgeous meal you've ever seen. So I'm coming? No, 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 no. Not in the sukkah. In the house. He looks at us and says, you're eating in the sukkah. Everybody's eating in the sukkah. What do you mean in the house? No, no, I set you a beautiful, lavish meal with a table, with everything in the house. He starts to beg and to plead, and he says, Rebbe, please, let me in your sukkah. Now, this is not happening. You want a meal? It's in the house. You don't want? Go home. The guy says, you know what? For different situations, a person's allowed to eat out of the sukkah. This is probably one of them. And if the Baditshiva is not letting me in, I'll eat up. I'll eat in the house. And he goes into the house. And he sits down. He sits down. And he takes the, the, the Baditshiva comes in, pours him a cup of wine. Go ahead, make Kiddush, I want to hear. And the fellow lifts up the cup of wine and he starts, Baruch Am I crazy? I can't eat out of a sukkah. It's not happening. Please, Rebbe, let me in your sukkah. So I'll tell you what, I'll let you in the sukkah if you give me back the contract. He picked up the cup again. He says, you're not getting the contract. He picked up the cup again and he starts, Out of a sukkah. I'm making a bracha, I'm going to eat out of a sukkah. This can't happen. If this is the price, the contract's the price, 
he takes the contract out of his pocket and he gives it back to the Badichiva. The Badichiva grabs him and takes him into the sukkah. And the man makes a bracha and the sukkah makes kiddush and mighty and eating his meal in the sukkah, the beautiful walls and the schach above his head. And he says, Rebbe, you took my neshama to a totally new level. You took it to a level that I didn't just appreciate the learning of Teda. I lived the mitzvah. I lived it through my essence. It went through and through me. From the inside out, I've been totally, totally devoted to Teda. The feeling that I now have for the mitzvah of sukkah was a feeling that I never had for a mitzvah. This is the message of Ashatosim Lifneyem that we should put within them. The tailor should not be an intellectual study that the person has, but rather each and every person has to make tailor their way of life. And we see at the end of the Pasha. This is the beginning talking of Lifneim, and the middle of the Pasha talks about the donkey of the Chomor and how we have to take the Chumrius of the world and elevate it. And the end of the Pasha, Vayad Moshe Lahor, and Vayishkun Kveil Hashem Al Sinai, and Osh Vayim Hashim Teraonon, Umarek Kveil Hashem Keisha Chelas Bereishahor, as a fire. A flame on the top of the mountain. Smoke rose up. We know the famous expression in English where there's smoke, there's fire. And therefore here too, smoke has to be fire. But when you take a smoke, when you take a fire, you put something into it that it consumes, as it's consuming it, it gives off a smoke. But if there's nothing inside, it doesn't have a fuel. If there's no fuel, then it can't work. The fire doesn't burn. Here on Harsinai, the fire was a consuming fire that emanated from the mountain itself. A fire from a rock, from a stone. This is again the same lesson. Teaching us of the enthusiasm even the most dreary and inanimate parts of our lives have to be brought through and through to a fact of Nasa and Nishma, to a fact that we see to it that not only we are affected, but Nasa as a public, as a whole unit, the entire Klai Yisrael will do. Just like the rock burnt on our Sinai, so too the most mundane and quiet and dreary thoughts and dreary people and dreary mitzias, dreary personalities also can be brought to flame, can be brought to smoke. Chav Bey Shvat, very quickly, is the Rebetzin's Yadzeit. The Rebetzin was a very, very private woman, but yet she did many, many things. Amongst she was done, she was sent many times on Shlichus from her husband, the Rebbe. The Rebbe sent her once to France, where there were refugees from Russia, 
to find out exactly which refugee is where and what their situation and predicament is in. And the Rebbe sent her, and she gave a complete documentation. And when she came back to the Rebbe in New York, the Rebbe went and sent messages to each person where and what he wanted them to do. There was one time with the Rebbe's birthday, Chafei Adar, that a group of women brought a beautiful bouquet of flowers to the Rebbe's. And on the bouquet was an envelope with all the names of the people for brachas. So the person that was running the household at the time took the bouquet of flowers and brought it to the Rebetzin and took the envelope and brought it to the Rebbe for the brachas. The Rebbe looked at it and said, it's not addressed to me, this is addressed to the Rebetzin. So the shaman said, but they want brachas. People inside are names that need blessings. So the Rebbe said, she can give blessings. And therefore the Rebbe said that they should go back to her, the names, these are for her to give the brachas for. And there are other little famous stories when the uh, school opened up in uh, in Connecticut, New Haven, in Moshe Hechtal of Shalom. He got permission from the Rebbe to use the Rebbe's mother's name, called Beis Chana. The Rebbe sent the Rebetzin as representation to the inauguration of the building, to the opening of the building. The Rebetzin passed away on Chavbe Shvat. A week before, she made phone calls to the people that she was very close with, and they didn't realize that she was saying goodbye. She was finally admitted into a hospital, although she didn't want to go really. But for two days she was suffering from illness that the Rebbe had to agree to have her sent to the hospital. But they didn't think it was so severe. They drove her in the car. The Rebbe did not go with, which he usually did accompany her. And at midnight, around midnight, she asked for a glass of water. She made the bracha shahakal. As she drank the water, she turned pale she got worse and worse in front of the doctor's eyes. She just passed away. And do what they may, they could not resuscitate her. This is also brought down in Zayr of the Neshama saying goodbye with the bracha of Shahakal. But the message that the Rebbe told us throughout the Shiva and from then on in was the alive people, the ones that are living are the ones that now have to take to heart. What do I have to do? How do I have to improve my value in life? How do I have to improve my value in my Judaism? I am the one that is still alive in this world. I am the one that still has the potential to grow. Once a person passes away, whatever they amassed in this world, in Taylor and Mitzvahs, goes up with them. You can't amass anymore. That's all they can... Rehash and rehash, as we say. Mashiach came. A person in this world has all the hours and the time to sit and to put their devotion into the study of Torah and to the doing of mitzvahs. And, uh, I'd like to just finish off on a 
very, very high note. Baruch Hashem, early this morning, to a new grandson. He should give us a lot of Yiddish, Yiddish, and Achaz. Shavarichas Yom, Vishanim, Tech, Brias Nachena, to his mother and to his father. He should give much Nachas and to his grandparents. And this Simcha should bring us to the Simcha Amitas of Aikitsu Ranu Sheikh Neofar, where the Sheikh Neofar will dance and they will sing and they will rejoice as they come to greet Pnei Mashiach Tzidkenu Malkenu Reishenu. And we go out of Golis on this very night. Nice.